we have got some work to do this morning. Are you ready for the Word of God today? If you brought a Bible with you today, I want you to go, first of all, with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We're going to look at just a few verses this morning, and um, in preparation for this weekend, I really felt like, you know, I was going to bring a word, and it would kind of last us over the course of the day, but early this morning, I felt like the Lord uh, instructed me to do what I can to, to lay a foundation in the first service, build on it in the second, and watch it kind of come to a culmination in the third. So I'm excited to see how this day unfolds, and uh, I need your help this morning. Are you with me in this? Can you use your faith? You know, a lot, of, a lot of what happens in this service and what takes place in here today is, is dependent upon you and the expectation that you approach it with. So if you, can, if you can approach this as though you're excited about it, those are the people that actually get something out of the word. Those who are excited about it. Those who anticipate answers coming. So let's get into agreement uh, together today. And once again with the Lord, Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you have given us your word to stand on, and we were not left alone in this world to try to figure things out on our own, but we have your word to run to, and we, we do that very thing today. We run to your word, and I'm asking you to give us eyes that see Jesus, ears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in him and who he is in us. And I believe today, Lord, that through the power of your word and the anointing that's on your word, you will do in us what only you can do, and that's bring change from the inside out, and we will be changed forever by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 20, and let's read a couple of verses together. It says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Everybody say sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let me read verse 21 to you again. This is where we want to spend our time today. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Useful for the master, prepared for the work. Useful to him useful to him. Uh, several months ago, Sarah and I had the opportunity to get away together, get some rest, get some vacation time in. Uh, we love the two kids that the Lord gave us. It's good to miss them every once in a while. Healthy for the relationship, I have found. And so the two of us got away, uh, just, just the two of us. And uh, early one morning, first morning actually, on vacation, I, I, I went out to the balcony, beautiful scene, looking out over the pool, palm trees, ocean and the beach in the distance and all that. And I'm sitting there with my Bible and the Lord leads me to this verse and something in this verse had caught my attention several days before that and I knew the Lord wasn't done talking to me about it, so I found myself here again. And I started looking at this, and one of the things I like to do when, when I really believe the Lord is instructing me in a, in a particular scripture is I just, I just start looking at it in a lot of different translations and really trying to unpack what he is endeavoring to say to me in it. And man, some of this just went off on the inside of me about being useful to the master, being useful to him and being prepared for every good work. There's another translation of this. It's the modern English version. I don't know if you guys have that or can put it on the screen. But the modern English version of this says that we would be vessels that are sanctified and fit, F-I-T, fit for the master's use. 
and prepared for every good work. Just a few weeks ago, I turned 37 years old. And so when we were on vacation, I've kind of got that on my mind. I'm nearing, I'm closer to 40 than I've ever been. It's, it's a miracle. Every day I keep getting closer and closer. And I know for some of you, that's not a big deal. Uh, for me, at this point, not having crossed that threshold, you know, it's kind of on my mind a little bit. And I'm sitting out there on that balcony, and I'm thinking about this, and the Lord, just this, this simple word, and I'll kind of give you a little window into my own life and soul here about what's going on with me and Sarah and, and in our ministry, our family. I felt like I heard the Lord say to me, not out loud with these ears, but just down on the inside, he said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. Fit by 40. Now, obviously, you're looking at me, and you realize I work out. <laughs> you can tell that. That's what nobody's wondering about but we tend to think of these things, you know, your fitness, your condition. We think of these things as an outward condition. We, we, we're familiar with conditioning and fitness training. But how many of you realize when the Lord starts talking to you along these lines, he's never talking to you about change on the outside first. He's not a change from the outside in kind of guy. He's a change from the inside out. That's who our God is, and that's where change begins, is on the inside. And he said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. So that when you look in the New King James, other translations, and it says useful for the master, and then you compare that with what we've heard from the modern English version about being fit, to be fit is to be useful to him. And if there's anything I want in this life, and if there's anything you should want in this life, it is to be useful to Jesus. Useful. Now, one thing's for sure, and this one thing you cannot undo, and that is this, he loves you. He loves you. He loves me, and he has proven it to me, and he has proven it to you over and over and over again. He doesn't just love you. He so loves you. You realize that? Just that little word, so, in John three sixteen. God so loved the world. You know there's a difference between loving and so loving. It's kind of like the difference between I'm hungry and I'm so hungry, right? I'm hungry means I could eat. I'm so hungry means watch out. <laughs> I'll eat anything in my sight. There's a difference. He so loves you. He so loves you. Somebody just say it. He so loves me. And you can't undo that. You can't change that. You can't make him love you more, and you certainly can't make him love you less. But here's what we need to realize, and this is going to sound a little heavy to you this morning, but, but I believe this is the word of the Lord to us. Just because he loves you doesn't necessarily mean he can use you. And when the Lord starts talking to me about Jeremy, get fit by 40, he set this goal out in front of me. So I've got, at this moment in time, as I stand here and minister this to you, I've got sort of a, a roughly a three-year window that I'm looking at in my life. And on one hand, it really excites me because he's saying something's coming. It's the realization and the recognition, something's on the way. He's setting this goal out here in front of me, and it gets me excited to think, man, there's major change coming in our life, maybe some, maybe some direction change and some assignment change and perhaps the next phase of our life and ministry together, and I realize that's coming, it's coming, and I get excited about it. But right on the other hand, you know, I have to be diligent to recognize this is at the same time a word of, a, a word of warning. 
What's he saying? Get fit by then. In other words, you're not right now. You're not ready for what's coming. I can't give it to you right now because if I did, you wouldn't be ready for it. How many of you know it's the mercy of God sometimes that we don't have the thing we think we need to have right now? I, I might lose some of you on this statement, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. It's the mercy of God sometimes you don't have all the money you think you need. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it like half just walked out the back door. It's the truth, though. It's the truth, though. There are things that are waiting to come into our lives until we are ready, ready, fit, useful. And I think back on when Sarah and I met. I mean, I don't know if we've ever shared our story with you guys. I can't get into all the details right now. It's an amazing, miraculous story. And it's a whirlwind story, honestly, because from the time we met to the time we got married was six months. It was amazing, and that was almost 10 years ago. But when we first started getting to know each other, she started kind of telling me that um, some people in my family, some of my cousins knew her before I ever knew her. She lived in another state. And they were trying to get her to come to Fort Worth, trying to get her to come to Texas, trying to set this whole thing up. And she told me the night that they were trying to get her to come down, and I, looking back on it, I told her, I am so thankful that she didn't come that night. And as a matter of fact, it was three months before I met her from that night to the time I actually met her. It was three months, and you might think, man, don't you wish you had known her sooner? Dear God, no. <laughs> For my sake. I mean, I would have messed this whole thing up. Why? I was not ready. And it very well may be the mercy of God, single people, that you don't know him, don't know her yet. Because there's some readiness that has to take place. This is what I want to be, useful to Jesus. I mean, this whole life that she and I are living together, this life of ministry, this life of traveling and preaching and, and loving people and, 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 and telling people about the goodness of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is all about one thing. Jesus, use us. We want to be used by you. But we see here in this scripture that just because he loves you doesn't necessarily mean you're in a condition that he can use you. Anybody with me in this? You want to be used? You want to get used? I know that sounds a little funny to us, but I want to get you. Use me, Lord. Use me. Use us. We want to be useful. We want to be fit. We want to be in a condition that he can use. And it's not just about being fit for his use. It's about being prepared for every good work. Fit for the master, ready for the work. Fit for his use, ready for the job in shape and ready to go. That's what we want to be. So I want to talk to you this morning about what it takes to be fit for his use and ready for the work. I want you to turn with me now to the book of Luke chapter 9. And I know, again, it sounds like a heavy statement to think that Jesus would ever say to somebody, I love you, but I can't use you. And you think, man, that, that just sounds harsh. That doesn't sound like the, you know, the sweet Jesus that I've heard so much about. But the truth is he would say it. How do I know he would say it? Because he has said it. He said it in his word. I want you to see this in the book of Luke chapter 9. Look in verse 57 with me. Let's read a few verses here. 
It says, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, what a statement, huh? I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus' response to this is not quite what you might assume that it would be. Somebody comes to him and says, Lord, I'm with you. I'm with you forever. I'll go wherever you go. I'll go whenever you go. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you might think the response would be, that's awesome. Come on, get on board. I'm looking for people like you. But that's not what Jesus said to him in response. In response, he said, hey, look, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It almost sounds like Jesus is trying to talk him out of it. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, really? Are you sure? See, I served on staff with my parents in their church for quite a while, actually right out of high school. I just felt like the Lord was instructing me, just go get in the ministry, learn everything you can, make this church and ministry that I was a part of, make that your university, and just glean as much as you can. And so I served on their staff for a long time in various capacities, but uh, Sarah and I were youth pastors together after we got married. I'd been youth pastoring for about four years when we got married. Then we did that together for another couple of years. So I, I was getting a lot of great church hands-on experience. And there was a statement that we would hear periodically from church members and people in the church that the first time you hear it, you think, oh, that's awesome. It's so encouraging. But after years of hearing it, you almost get to the point where you don't want to hear it anymore. And it's when people come to you and say, Pastor, we're with you forever. You might think to yourself, well, that's great. Wouldn't you want to hear that? I know, it seems like you would. But after a while, you start to realize the people who say that, the people who are quick to say that and talk that, we're with you, we're not going anywhere. You look up and six weeks later, they are gone. <laughs> Why? Because there are those who talk and those who do. There are talkers and there are doers. And it came to the place in church and in ministry and even within our own family. I know talking to mom and dad about this, it just got to the point where people would come and say, hey, we're with you. And it's like, please just do not say that. Say anything but that. I don't want to hear you say I'm committed. If you're committed, just be committed. If you're with me, just be with me. You don't really need to just kind of come and say it all the time. And it just seemed like it was a precursor to people bailing out. So this guy comes to Jesus and says, look, I'm with you wherever you go. And Jesus basically turns around to him and says, really? Are you sure? Because this is what it's like. But then right on the other hand, in verse 59, Jesus said to another, follow me. Somebody say, follow me. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Again, sort of heavy statements coming from Jesus here, not what you might automatically think you'd hear him say. But this guy said to him, when Jesus had offered to him this invitation to come follow me, he said, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, look, you're thinking about this wrong. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is what? Do you see that word? Fit. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. You look this word fit up, and it's the same thing that we found in 2 Timothy. It literally means useful. So what Jesus is saying here is there are those who are useful to me, and there are those who are useless. Which one are you going to be? Which one are we going to be? Useful or useless? Now, you go back and look at the, the conversation here. This is, I think these few verses are just kind of a synopsis of several, maybe several instances throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. But notice what he said to him in verse 59. Follow me. This is an ultra-rare, ultra-valuable and special invitation from Jesus. Not everybody got this eye-to-eye, face-to-face invitation from Jesus. There were precious few that heard these two words right here. Follow me. Follow me. Now, this individual heard it, but I want you to notice his response again in verse 59. He said to the Lord, Lord, let me first, let me first, me first, let me first, let me do what? Let me first go and bury my father. What did the guy say in verse 61? uh, Another also said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first Now, there are those who got this invitation from Jesus. Do you remember that that rich young ruler who came to him that day with this burning question in his heart? How do I, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And they had a conversation about the commandments. And and he he said to him, you know, I've done all that. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, go and sell what you've got and follow me. And that guy walked away sad. He He essentially said to Jesus, No. No. Now, these people aren't even, they're not saying no. It's one thing to just say no to him, but it's another thing to say, okay, but me first. Me first. But here's the thing. Whether your response is all out no or Lord me first, you're just as useless. He's saying, Lord, me first. Both these guys, Lord, me first. Let me first go back to my family. Let me first go deal with some family issues. Let me first go back and bid them farewell. Me first, me first, me first. But if you know anything about Jesus, if you know anything about the word of God, if you know anything about the kingdom of God, it's not me first. It's kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And with this attitude of me first, Jesus says, I love you. I'll even do one better than that. These guys weren't just loved by Jesus. I mean, could we agree that they're loved by him? Of course, there's human blood running through their veins. You know they're loved by Jesus. But I'll add one to that. They're called by him. Here are people, two individuals, perhaps two that represent many more, that came face to face and eye to eye with the call, the assignment, the plan of God for their lives and heard the, that, again, ultra rare personal invitation out of the mouth of Jesus, you come follow me. So not only are they loved by Jesus, they're called by Jesus. With that calling comes grace. With that calling comes anointing. With that calling comes ability. 
But because of their response to it, Jesus is forced to look back at them and say, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, I love you. Yes, I've called you. But at this moment in time, you are of no use to me. I know this is heavy. I know that this is weighty. But we've got to reconcile some of these things if we're ever going to be in a position and in a condition for Jesus to use us. If you desire impact, if you desire to have a significance in this world and make an impact in this community, through this church, in your own life and ministry, then what you actually desire is for Jesus to use you. But God forbid you or I ever hear him say again, Jeremy, I love you, but I just can't use you. I know it's quiet. I know this is not jump up and run around the church kind of stuff, but if we get it right, this is exciting. When we get these little changes made, this becomes very exciting. It's like me sitting out on that balcony realizing something's coming. Something's coming. And the fact that this would be the word of the Lord to you this morning and to this church, you know what that tells me, folks? Aaron, Diane, you know what that tells me? Something's coming. <laughs> Something's coming for this place. Because believe you me, I don't really want to be the one standing here telling you, hey, you're not fit. You're not in condition. This isn't exciting. People don't like hearing this stuff. I'd much rather, Lord, can I preach that one, you know, about prosperity and faith and love? And like, no, go and tell them. Something's coming. And I want them in shape. Something's coming. So that's the word of the Lord to you this morning. Something is coming. And you've got whatever window of time he's set in front of you. Let's get in shape. Let's get ready. Let's get fit and prepared for the work that he's called us to do. Again, I'm going to keep going over this for you. Notice their response. Let me first. Let me first go do these things. I want you to compare and contrast this to the same invitation he gave some other people. Go to the book of Mark chapter 1. And just standing in the speaker's room this morning looking at these scriptures, the Lord just showed me something I'd never seen before. So get ready for some revelation that's all of about, I don't know, 35 minutes old. <laughs> I'm excited about it, though. Mark chapter 1, again, contrasts the exact same invitation to what the invitation he gave the folks we just read about in Luke 9 and, and the same invitation he's giving to these guys in Mark chapter 1. Verse 16, it says, as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me. Same two-word invitation. And notice the follow-up statement here. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, he gave the same invitation in Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. You notice this invitation never really comes with a lot of explanation. Jesus never sits down with these guys. He did not send out invitations, you know, to his, um, what are they called, core meetings. And, and there, there's so much science now that goes into starting a work and starting a church. And you got to have these pre-meetings, pre-launch, and then a soft launch. And then 
There was none of that. Jesus didn't sit down with them and with pen and paper and say, okay, now this is my three-year ministry plan. What, I've, what I want us to do right, is start in this city here. And then if I can get a really strong social media team supporting me, I really believe we can get the word out. And we're going to have to raise enough money. But if we do that, then we can start branching out and expanding to satellite campuses all around Jerusalem and Judea. No, there's none of that. He just looks at these guys square in the eye and says, you follow me. And the most explanation he gave them was, if you follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What's that even mean? (laughs) Now, you and I have the luxury of 2,000 years of people preaching that and explaining that and seeing that. These guys had all of 10 seconds in that moment to try to wrap their puny brains around what cryptic invitation is this? What do you even mean by that? Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Sounds a little strange, right? I'm glad they weren't out there hunting that day. That would be strange. (laughs) I'll make you fishers of men. But that's the same invitation that they got in Luke 9. It's the same invitation that the rich young ruler got. And it's the same invitation you're getting. Have you ever noticed that, that God doesn't always just spell out everything for you? Now, if you make this decision of faith right here today, then what's going to happen six weeks from now is I'm going to give you this, and then it's going to be like that, and then you can write it down on your calendar that it's going to be like this in a year. All he's saying is, follow me. Follow me. Why would that be the invitation? Because he's going somewhere. Follow me because I'm going somewhere and I want you to go. Now, I want you to contrast their response to what we read about in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said to him, verse, <clears throat> verse 17 in Mark chapter 1, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their nets. They left their nets. Somebody say they left their nets. That's important to us. Hold on a second. Verse 19 When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. I imagine he gave them the same invitation. And they left their father. Why do you suppose the scripture would tell us that? They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with their hired servants and went after him. They left their father. These guys left their nets, and they left their father. You look back at Luke 9, and what was the thing holding on to these people? Why were they saying, let me first, me first, I want to do something first, what's me first? You look back at both instances, the first one said, let me first go, and I got to deal with my father. The other one said, let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But these guys, no recorded response whatsoever, no no pre-job interview. No, okay, I hear the invitation. Can you, can you tell me what's in it for me? None of that. They immediately, the scripture said, they left their nets and they left their father. Abraham, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, 70 years old or so, the word of the Lord comes to him. Get out of this country and from your father's house. 70 years old. Let's be honest. It was time, folks, to get out of daddy's house. 
70 years old. Come on, get, get the boy. Push him out of the nest now. Let's go, let's go. But do you notice there's always something in the plan of God and in the call of God for you to be ready for him to use you the way he wants you, the way he wants to. There's something for you to leave and something for you to pursue. And over and over again, you see that it's family. It's family. And I'm not telling you that your family's evil and you need to leave the house and never have anything to do with them again. But I want you to see the comparison here. And this is what I was telling you is just, just a few moments old in my own heart. Notice what these guys had to leave. Not just their family, not just their father, but what? Their net. Their net. What does a net symbolize to us? I mean, you, you think about going to a circus or something like that, and there's always that tightrope scene where the guy gets out, and you know, he's how many stories high, and he's walking out over that tightrope, right? And it's, oh, it's so dangerous. But really, is it? I mean, they have this massive, what, what's beneath them? Help me out. There's a net there. Why? Because this fool is probably about to fall several stories. And it just wouldn't go well at the circus with all the little kids here to see this guy spread out all over the floor. So we put this net here. Why? It's safety. It's security. It's comfort. It's I'm taking a risk, but am I really? I mean, we marvel at their ability to balance. Okay, that's great. But what about these guys in the last few years who do this over the Grand Canyon or between skyscrapers in major cities with no net? That's risk. They have left the net. That's risk. You and I are not ready. We're not in condition until we have let go of everything we have so-called security in. Anything that we have to, quote-unquote, fall back on. I mean, how many people have heard the call of God on their lives, and Jesus has come to them and said, follow me, and they've said, yes, Lord, let me first make some money. Let me first get the kids through school. L let me first get my business started, right? Let me first <clears throat> get, get uh, let me first get married. Let me first get my life established. Let me first get in the job I want. Let me first make a little extra money. Let me first, let me first, let me first. Why would you think that you have to do any of these things first? Because I hear this call of God and he's calling me to step out into ministry, step out into my own, step out into the things he's created me to do. But what if there's nothing for me? What if it doesn't go well? Then I'm gonna have to have something to fall back on. So what's that tell you right there? No faith. No faith. And without that, you're not in condition. You're not ready. He's saying, baby, look, I love you. And I have called you. And if you could only see the thing I've called you to do in the fullness of it, I can't show it to you right now. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> 
he wouldn't really, but it would be about that. I mean, you might faint if you knew the bigness of what he's called you to do. So that's why he's just saying, take a step, take a step, take a step. And there is, there's been this saying that we have been living by at our ministry for the last several years. And it comes from a lady named Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman, who wrote books and ministered decades ago. And she said, God delights in his children taking a step out over the aching void with nothing beneath their feet but the word of God. What's that mean? No net. No net. I'm not trying to fall back on my savings account. I'm not trying to fall back on my side businesses. I'm not trying to fall back on my education. I'm not trying to fall back on anything. You're the one who called me. You'll have to sustain me. You will have to keep me up. And if I fall, you are going to have to be the one that catches me. And you're going to have to be the one that picks me back up. You're going to have to be the one that puts me back on my feet. But I am leaving everything that I thought was safe. I'm leaving everything that I could called security. And that's what, that's what that, that home, that's what that family house represents, doesn't it? I mean, you grow up in there and as a kid, you don't leave the house as a six-year-old. You don't leave the house as a 12-year-old. You don't even leave the house as an early teenager. But there comes a time when you've got to take that step. Why? This was security. This was safety. But you can't stay here forever. Some dudes have tried. And they're still playing video games in mama's basement. Not ready. Not ready. Until you're ready to let go of what you thought was holding you up. Until you're ready to let go of what's so-called security and something that seems safe and you're, you're assuming it's holding you up. Until you're ready to let go of that, you're not ready. But these guys, what did they leave? Two things. They left their net and they left their father. You know what Jesus said to them? I can use you. I can use you. What makes you usable to him? In a word, faith. That's as simple as that. What makes you of any use to Jesus whatsoever? Faith. He delights in it. Have you found that out about him? God loves faith. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to please him without it. It's absolutely impossible to please him without taking a step of faith. He loves it. Absolutely delights in it. Again, he delights in his children taking that step out over the aching void with nothing beneath their feet but the word of God. So what's been the net? Hmm? What's the net? There may have been a net under you for the past three decades. Maybe you were a teenager when you heard the voice of the Lord and you heard God speak to you and he woke you up in the night or you sat in a service and you came eye to eye and face to face and you heard what everybody has heard. It's those two words, follow me. And maybe you didn't say no. That's wonderful. Don't say no. But saying no is the exact same thing as saying me first. And saying me first is the exact same thing to him as saying no. No. 
And Jesus is saying to us this morning, look, if it's, it's kingdom first or not at all. It's kingdom first or nothing. And these other things that these guys wanted to go back and do, they're not bad things. They're not bad things. But Jesus had to hold the mirror up to him and say, look, if there's anything before what I'm calling you to do, you're not fit for the kingdom. If anything else comes first, you're not fit. I can't use you, not in that condition. But here's the good news this morning. It does not take long to get fit. This body, on the other hand, <laughs> that can take a while. But your heart can get fit in a second. You can get inwardly in shape right now. It's just getting willing. It's just getting willing. Jesus, nothing comes before you. Not family, not finances, not relationships. I'm not falling back on anything but you. Amen? Let me pray for you this morning. I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor. Father, in Jesus' name, we hear you this morning. We hear you loud and clear. I hear you, Lord. I receive this as as a word to me, for our family and our ministry. And together we receive it as a personal word, Lord. And I'm committing to you today, once again, that nothing comes before you. Nothing comes before you and your kingdom and doing what you've called us to do, being who you've called us to be. And any time we hear these words from Jesus, follow me, we'll be quick to hear, quick to obey, quick to act, quick to step out by faith. And Lord, we let go of anything in our lives that has been me first, us first. I let it go this morning. Somebody say, I let it go. You're our security. You're the one sustaining us. You're the one holding us up. And you are the one who will take us all the way. And even if we fall, you're faithful and merciful to pick us back up. And we thank you for it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Somebody say, I'm willing. Just say it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm willing. Use me.